Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. My name is Gabrielle Hakoen, and joining me today, as she does every day, is my good friend and co-host. Hi, I'm Sadie Carpenter, and today we're going to answer a lot of questions. A lot of questions. Where are these questions coming from? Are they coming in letters? Are they coming in letters from a penitentiary in Texas, where they tell us that famed actor uh, and Tony Award winner Paul Sand has committed a double homicide and is going to prison forever. No, these these are mostly electronic mail messages. It's not me standing up in front of the congregation with my phone bill and... And saying that this was a letter from a penitentiary in Texas and somebody that I don't like has suddenly been revealed to be a murderer. Yes. It's it's not that. Uh, This is a pretty... No, these are emails. uh, You know, considering who we are and what we normally do, this is a pretty murder-free episode. I mean, I think. I think. Yeah, this is... This is a... This one is, is, is for fun. Um, we've been getting some really good questions in our Facebook fan group, and we thought we would we, – we enjoyed – I mean, I don't know about you. I enjoyed our last 
question and answer episode so much. Oh, it was so fun. It was really fun, so fun, and I thought it would be great too. I think it's about about time. We've got some great questions. Let's uh, let's give yeah. them some answers. Yeah, I figure we'll do this every so often. Uh, but before we get into answering your questions, that's right. All of these questions are from listeners of the show. Before we get into that, uh, I just like to say that the Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast. Uh, we are a show about Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent Fundamental Baptist cult uh, where she was raised. Not a member anymore. Thank God. Uh, so we seek to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion because cults are dangerous. We don't like cults. Uh, and so we talk about cults, this cult, other cults, <laughs> fundamentalism in general. Yeah. So, uh, but I mean, let's just, let's get into your questions, your questions, listeners. What do we want to talk about first? Who's our first question from? So the first one I wanted to start with um there's there's one from our Facebook group that I wanted to start with, and this is from Sharla. 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 No. You don't have to do a theme song for every listener. Is there a song about somebody named Sharla? I feel like there should be. I don't think so. I, okay. I keep a list of songs that have women's names in the title, um, and I am not thinking of one for Sharla. Okay. But Sharla wants to know... Why and how do people join the IFB? I get that kids tend to join when their family is in and the church does all kinds of stuff to increase loyalty. What's attractive to the church for people not already in it? See, this is uh, this is one of the things that like at the beginning when we first started doing the show, I was like, yeah, why would somebody join this to begin with? And like, I really had to look into like the historical context to actually try to figure out like why somebody would join this group. Uh, I have two answers to this question. What's attractive to the church for people not already in it? Well, the real yes. Well, the real answer is not much, and that's why IFB churches are dying. Some of them are trying to incorporate the trappings of modern churches, like coffee shops in the foyer and a little bit of worship music just without the drums, like trying to pull in more liberal Southern Baptist type people and people who are in non-denominational churches, but are really very conservative on the inside. This is not effective for the IFB. People tend to come for a while and then they'll get wind of some of the more out there teachings the IFB has and they'll just leave. So what these things that the IFB is doing to try to attract people, the, the net result is just a lot of turnover. By the way, this leads to kids who were raised IFB uh, often having attachment issues because those of us who were church kids who were in the church growing up the entire, you know, our entire lives, we would get new friends every few months through the church and we'd be encouraged to become really good friends with them because as you may remember, that's one way that the IFB tries to keep you in. Like they try to make super good friends with you really quick. So there'd be a new family at the church. I'd be sent off to become their new best friend. And then just a few months later, their parents would just leave the church and I'd never even get a chance to say goodbye to my friends. So, um, so this is, this is a, this is an issue specifically for kids who, who grew up deep inside the IFB. That's really sad, man. That's that. I mean, that hits home for me because, you know, between seventh and eighth grade, I went to a different school and my best friend who who didn't go to either of those schools moved away. And so that like really hit me right in the heart. Oh, man. Yeah. And rough that's, stu- that's rough stuff for a kid. That is really rough. And, and that's the kind of thing you can't always you cannot always control whether your child 
is going to lose friends or whether you're going to need to move across the country or or whether a friend of your kids is going to move and they're not going to get the closure that they want on that close relationship. You can't control that always for your kids, but it's super prevalent in the IFB because of because people because of like the way the church is functioned. They people come to church, you try to be their new best friend and then they just up and leave on you without ever telling you they're leaving. That's really sad. The, as far as the people not joining or people leaving, you know, that I mean, this has been a persistent and terminal issue, right? Yeah, it really has. Because, you know, the evangelism of the 70s and 80s, the early 90s has really fallen to the wayside. That's not as prevalent in culture anymore. Right. And what that's brought about is oversaturation effect, especially within Baptist churches, because what you're left with now is that pretty much everybody who's going to be Baptist is already Baptist. So it's not really a game of going out and getting unsaved, unchurched people to become Christians and become Baptists and join your church. Even though they say that's what their goal is, the goal is really getting the most people who are already Baptist to choose your church over another church. So we were talking about Stephen Anderson. You remember that? One of my favorites. How could you forget? Um, We were saying, though, that the the NIFB, or at least you were saying— um, your hypothesis was that the N- the new IFB is in a position to really eclipse the regular IFB because, you know, in 2021, if you're interested in a really strict religious doctrine, it's either A, because, you know, you're actually interested in the tradition, so you'd probably end up being like Southern Baptist or something, or B, because you're really interested in like just straight up joining a hate group full of religious extremists who think that gay people need to be put to death and you've been red-pilled or some sh- So the IFB, you know, they try to be polite about a lot of this stuff because they're, you know, maybe last century about this. uh, But, you know, the polite bigotry doesn't do it. You know, not the way that Mm -hmm. people are now these days with the Internet and on Reddit. And and, and if you're going to be hateful, you know, you're going to be hateful. And people are really a lot more open about that these days. So you're going to go all the way up and end up in like a new IFB church where you hear, you know, they need to put gay people to death and, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. kill the Muslims, stuff like that. What I was going to ask is how many people do you think have gone from being normal, normal members of society? Maybe they're nominally Christian, but they're not regular churchgoers. How many people have gone from that to becoming NIFB members? Like 10% of the NIFB membership totally? Probably not that high. I, I think a large percentage of their growth comes from IFB members who find the NIFB. And either they already had the beliefs, the NIFB espouses, and their IFB church was never enough for them, or they are dissatisfied with some small aspect of their current IFB church, and they get radicalized by Stephen Anderson or another NIFB preacher. Well, it's the same sort of uh, way you hear about people being radicalized online by like terrorist cells. You know, it's a few years ago, it's how ISIS would recruit people. You know, they'd go on the internet and be like, well, this is the true way that you have to, to live. Um, and we're trying to do this. We're trying to set this up here um, in Syria and Iraq. And people would go and they, you know, and they join ISIS. Yeah. Have you ever read that that article about like all the all the British young women who yes. went off to join ISIS? Yeah, because you know, I mean, they'd be like religiously conservative or whatever, right? Or they just get like somehow into their heads that like this was the thing that they had to do. Like just online radicalization. Yeah, is a very real thing. 
And I think that's why Steven Anderson is so visible online. Well, yeah. yeah, And, you know, that's how they recruit people, though, is they find people who are already disaffected. They see somebody who's spewing hatred online and, you know, in a way that makes sense to them. If they've, you know, they have like a myopic, angry perspective, something clicks and then they're just like, this is for me. This guy's telling it like it is. Steven Anderson is like a religious Christian version of that rather than being like ISIS, who's like the Muslim version of that. Yes, exactly. I wanted to sidebar. I promise this will be super short. No but, worries. Um, Jenny and Corinne, I hope I'm saying that right, from the Facebook group, had questions that are very that I can answer in the same answer. Jenny wanted to know if the IFB churches who are loosening their standards on clothing and music a little bit, if I think that's going to affect the fundy world or the growth or death of the IFB at large. And Corinne wanted to know if these changes are just superficial or if there's anything actually changing to make the lives of people better. Like, is the doctrine changing or is it just the standards? To answer all of those and Charlotte's question kind of all at once, IFB is changing surface level things, but nothing is changing doctrinally. That's their whole point is that the doctrines don't change. So there may be a few churches that are letting the doctrines slide a little bit to try to attract more modern people, more younger, more young people. But that's that's pretty rare. So a lot of the IFB churches will just kind of retcon their dress code rules. So now you can have a sleeveless top as long as the, the tip of your shoulder is covered. Uh, or they'll say, oh, well, you can wear skirts that come to the top of your kneecap, not the bottom of your kneecap. I guess your kneecaps aren't sinful anymore. But they're not changing the harmful doctrines of modesty. They're not changing the the harmful doctrines that men that women are responsible for men's eyes and for men's thoughts. They're just changing tiny specifics of what they do and don't allow to try to make people more comfortable. If anything, I think this is going to help hasten the death of the IFB because being allowed to show your kneecap or not show your kneecap is not going to keep any young person a a part of the IFB. That's not enough of a concession for people who are already on the way out like I was a few years ago. Uh, And it is just going to make all the old timers who are super serious about the rules mad. So it's it's not going to help and it's probably going to hurt. Um, is my answer to, to all of that. As far as what is actually attractive to people who organically join IFB churches, like people who go from I don't go to church or I go to church on Christmas and Easter to I am an independent fundamental Baptist, it's rare, but those people do exist. What is attractive to them is that the IFB is able to put on this front of being squeaky clean. It's like walking into a colorized episode of Leave it to Beaver the first few times you're in an IFB church. And then they will just love bomb the shit out of you until they can get you committed and locked into being a church member. The IFB is just the premier example of extremely effective love bombing. They're just, they're the best. So, you know, I remember when your parents were in town. You know, I went over to your house for for lunch because your parents were like, oh, I'd like to meet him, meet, like to meet your co-host. And your dad and I had this really nice long conversation about a lot of the stuff. But he would say that the IFB would have a mix of these types of families, you know, that really wanted that like leave it to beaver type atmosphere, you know, Midwestern apple pie eating Jesus loving Americans. And then there would be just absolute weirdos 
that we're looking for just any sort of community. And of course, if you're a church like this, you know, if you're about Jesus, you're like, you can't turn anyone away. You're just like, you know, kind of like how Hufflepuff House gets a bad rap for because Helga Hufflepuff was like, well, can this kid do magic? Okay, well, if they can do magic, then I will teach them you assholes who are like, oh, I'm only teaching like brave or smart or pure. But like, no, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Chuck definitely knows what you're saying. Yeah. Chuck, it's okay if you end up in Hufflepuff House. (laughs) There's this undertone of purity to the IFB. That's a very loaded word. To some people, it just means that uh, men and women both cover up their bodies and dress in a modest and understated fashion. Uh, It means that the doctrine is simple, easy to understand, that the pastor doesn't use big words. People are encouraged not to have sex until marriage and that everybody goes to church on Sunday with their little family. Even that definition of purity has a dark side with purity culture putting value on people, particularly women, based on whether or not they've done whatever sex activity you consider to be doing the sex. Holding hands. Yeah, exactly. Ocular intercourse. This, yeah, like this definition of purity still polices women's bodies disproportionately to how it polices men's. Uh, It's still makes an environment that is very ripe for victim blaming. It still covers up sexual abuse. But that's like the the normal people who are part of the IFB. A lot of people, like they don't understand how their idea of purity has a dark side because they're only seeing like the nice side of it. But that purity also appeals to people who are racists and who want to talk about pure bloodlines. It also appeals to people who want to deny the human impact of slavery and of colonization. It also appeals to people who actively want to control women's bodies and women's choices far beyond what they wear. Well, and also, you know, purity is going to appeal to those people, you know, so maybe you don't feel great about yourself. So like, you know, so you maybe they can have something over other people who have more than them. But like they can have something over somebody from like a moral high ground perspective. So say, I don't want to sound mean when I say, so say you don't think you're particularly attractive or something and you see hot people hooking up all over the place, right? And maybe you're feeling a little bit left out or you see all of this sex and all of this glorification of sex and culture. Like you saw Cardi B and Megan the Stallion singing WAP and you're just like, I, I hate it. I don't like it. And you're mad, not just because you think it's immoral, but also because you're not having it. So you're like going to gravitate towards something that's going to tell you, actually, you know, you're the one who's right and it's everyone else who's wrong. You see what I'm saying? You know, that's that's a really good point. And I think what should be said about that is that there are there's not one cut and dry reason why people join the IFB. And I wish there were, because if there were, it would be a lot easier to help other people deconstruct because it would be like, oh, well, here's the reason you joined. Let me fix that. But I think we've covered really well some of the things that might appeal to people about the IFB. Yeah. Also, I, you know, thinking about it, though, and this is just because uh, so I went on a road trip earlier this year. I drove from Portland, Oregon to Washington, D.C., and I took a more southerly route so that I could see like delicate arches. But one of the places that I visited was Salt Lake City, Utah. And I was sort of thinking, like, if I like in in the year of our Lord, 2021, if I were going to be like, you know what, I want this, you know, apple pie eating American leave it to beaver lifestyle, I wouldn't go IFB. I would probably go like LDS. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they they have the the reputation for being super wholesome and having the whole the whole list of alternate cuss words. Yeah, what the fruit? What the <laughs> um cheese and rice? Yeah. You know? <laughs> 
we're i mean i think that yeah have I, since this since this is a little bit of a looser episode because it's q a have, have i ever told our listeners that the more angry i am the more likely i am to christian curse instead of actually <laughs> cursing like you know me you know i i i uh, am not i am not shy about cursing in in general oh no conversation at all uh but if i actually lose my temper or smash my finger with a hammer the the more emotionally put out i am the more likely i am to revert to christian cursing man so it's just like ingrained into you yes so uh, you're not fully deprogrammed sadie uh do i ever get fully deprogrammed no uh listen to the next 500 episodes of leaving in podcast to find out so earlier um i mentioned harry potter houses briefly and being as this is a, a Q&A episode, and I know that you are as uh, as big a Harry Potter fan as I am, um, this wasn't strictly asked by a listener, but I think that our listeners want to hear it. Uh, I want to know what house you would be in. I will tell you what house I'm in if you want me to tell you, but no one is <laughs> nobody ever believes me, so I know you're not going to believe me, and you're probably not going to like my answer either. Okay, how about we guess each other's then? Okay. Is that cool? That's um, cool. And I want to specify, so I based mine on like the official, official result because I got mine from Wizarding World of Harry Potter website a year ago. And then I went back like a week ago to try and see if it would be a different answer. And I got the same answer both times. Okay. Yes. Number one, that specific test is the official test. And I'm not fighting that. Yes. I do. I I will also go by the, the Pottermore test results for me too. But I did want to say the book is written by a turf, so you don't have to play by her rules. If you get enjoyment out of her content, fine, but enjoy the world however you want and um, be in whatever house you feel like you belong in. That's true. Also, in a canon sense, the Sorting Hat takes into consideration what house you want to be in. That's also true. Yeah, JK's really, she said some really dumb about transgender people, hasn't she? Well, <laughs> she didn't just say shit. She made her, her other pen name after somebody who enacted violence on trans people what yeah like she's like really? way worse than a regular turf robert Gal- galbraith i think is the name that she used as a pen name and it's the middle and the last name of a guy who actively tortured trans people in like the 50s or something Ugh. Yeah, uh, I did not know that but yeah and then in the novel that she wrote using his name she had a character who posed as a trans woman but was actually a man being a pervert which is the exact actual turf straw man narrative that is so harmful to people oh yeah that's why they keep doing that's like literally the whole point of turfs yeah that's like the whole point of turfs and it's not uh realistic and it doesn't apply to the real world or 99.999 percent of people who say that they're trans that is highly suspect, man. That yeah, I'm sorry yikes. to like, I'm sorry to like rain on your parade, but she is an exceptionally, exceptionally shitty person. Yikes! Like wow. you know, mm. you know that that like turf and carpetbagger are the two worst insults in my personal vocabulary. Um, I didn't know that, but okay. <laughs> yeah, those that's like those are like the worst types of people to me. Not into anything that she's done except for. Right, the Harry Potter books, which is why you may have heard me refer to them as the books without an author. Well, I anyway. have. But <laughs> the thing that I was saying about, you know, choosing the houses beforehand, though, at least my opinion, is that we're all muggle born, right? So we, you know, we go in not knowing 
about houses, so we don't know which one we belong in. So we've just got to rely on the hat to tell us. See, I disagree because you do get like Harry was sorted into Slytherin, but then his will outweighed the hat. So you do actually get to choose hmm. because of canon and also because um, make this content your own and run with it. Fair. I am pretty sure that you would have to be a Gryffindor because you are the main character in your own story. Nope. Really? Swing and a miss. Okay, Swing okay. And a miss. Give me your best guess for me. If I were going to sort you, I would put you in Ravenclaw. Okay, well, at least you didn't say Hufflepuff. I hate when people do that. Still wrong, though. Okay, you know what? First of all, Hufflepuff is a cool house because they have their common room right next to the kitchens. They are like chill homies. Um, they accept everybody. No, I have I have nothing against the the Hufflepuffs um, at all. I just that's not the way that I perceive myself, and it frustrates me when other people perceive me that differently from how I want to be perceived. See, I, I would I would definitely put you in Ravenclaw though, right? Because you you speak English, but you know Latin, Greek, ASL. You read a lot of books. Okay, I don't speak Greek and Latin. I don't. I have no idea of like the verb conjugations or subject tense or anything. I just have excellent vocabulary in both Greek and Latin. See, like I said, more nerd. <laughs> um, also, remember that t- that sociology paper that you keep talking about, like literally every episode of the podcast. You're like, I wrote a sociology paper. Do I really? And not every episode. It's it's come up a couple of times, but you're I'm like, proud yeah, of it that was. Paper. And you're like, it was twice as long as it was supposed to be. That is some on-brand Ravenclaw behavior. So I'll have you know that I got a 100% on that paper, and the teacher personally emailed me to say it was one of the best undergraduate papers she'd ever received. See, that is like, that is straight like Ravenclaw, hardcore, you know. Still not a Ravenclaw, no. no my, my, official, my official Pottermore test result and the results of my cold dead heart was Slytherin. I mean, that's not entirely unexpected. Oh, you're the first person to ever say that it wasn't entirely <laughs> unexpected. No, most people are just like, oh, Sadie, you're so nice. That's impossible. You could never be a Slytherin. You know, see, here's the thing is that I feel like I know you well enough to know that you are not all sunshine and roses. You know, there's some steel in there. There's some ambition. You know, Slytherins, they aren't all like evil. Some of them are. Yeah, some of them are like a-holes, but. Some of them are just people who have goals and a desire to meet them. And, you know, they're driven. That's that's not like yeah. necessarily a bad quality. The ambition thing is a huge factor for me. It's not so much that I that I want to f- over other people at all, but it's it's I, I'm incapable of imagining a life for myself where I don't stretch my abilities, where I don't push myself personally and professionally all the time. Uh, that that is that the the drive and ambition is a big thing for me. There's also the factor of of like I don't know what to call it situational awareness. Maybe I feel like Slytherins are very tuned into the interpersonal politics around them at all times. That just kind of comes naturally. I'm more I don't know maybe political in personal relationships is a way to look at it. Not that I'm attempting to manipulate people around me, but that I'm good at reading people. I'm good at knowing what people need, and I'm good at recognizing the complicated social relationships of people around me and how all those relationships depend on each other. And I really make a conscious effort not to 
manipulate based on what I perceive just because I feel like that's not ethical and I wouldn't be happy with myself if I did. But I am like, I am aware of all these, all these different relationships around me and like how they affect each other. And I think that's a very Slytherin thing. I I am with you. Do you want to know what house I'm in though? Yes, please let us know. So when I went onto the website, it told me that had I attended the Hogwarts, I probably would have been sorted into Ravenclaw house, which makes sense because my whole family is probably Ravenclaw. But also, you know, the only Jewish character in Harry Potter, Anthony Goldstein, is a Ravenclaw. So maybe all the Jews end up in Ravenclaw. I'm still a bit surprised. I would definitely have said Gryffindor for you. Nope. But any ladies out there looking to get raw with a claw, I'm right here. Oh, boy. <laughs> I don't know. What's better? What's better? Getting raw with the claw or getting rough with the puff? Neither. <laughs> can, I, can I get a neither option? Speaking of British things, let's get into our next email. Okay. Next email. Next one. So we had a really lovely email from Izzy. Izzy is a listener from across the pond in the UK. And she had some very nice compliments for us and some really big questions. Izzy said that she got into our podcast from the interview I did with the infamous Pickles, um, who has been a Duggar snarker since before Duggar snarking was cool. So I thought that was a neat, um, a neat, a neat connection. I'm really glad I did that interview. Yeah, that was a while ago. That was like that was like November. Yeah, that was when we were still like, oh man, we got 500 downloads on this episode. What a great wow. day! Like, wow. You know. I remember that was that was long enough ago that I. Uh, I was pregnant, but I could still type with my laptop on my lap. So I wasn't that wow. pregnant, which seems like forever ago. <laughs> I mean, there's only one degree to which somebody can be pregnant unless you've got twins, right? Okay, that's that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, boy, I, I should have drank more coffee before we did this episode. Izzy's first question was not podcast related, but I wanted to answer it because it's on a really important topic to me. So bear with me for that. Go for it. Uh, She says, I wanted to ask a question regarding the gay blood ban in the U.S. Here in the U.K., sexually active gay men are only allowed to donate blood if it has been at least three months since their last sexual encounter, regardless of whether they use protection or not. Like you, Sadie, I am a regular blood donor, and I find this hugely frustrating. If they can scan my blood for HIV, they can scan all donors' blood for HIV, regardless. Is there a blanket ban? ban in the u.s is it similar to here in the uk or does it change state to state ah yes the gay blood ban a bad policy especially because like you were saying you know they could test blood for hiv really easily and they have all of those like you know pre-donation questions to determine if you are or not at risk for spreading hiv or like hepatitis but yeah regardless and, and this they is, still have well, it and those yeah but those pre-donation questions end up discriminating against gay men and making it really difficult for them to be able to donate blood. Yeah. This is a really near and dear topic for me because the first time I heard about this was the first time I was brave enough to make a public stance supporting LGBTQ people in any way. This would, it would have been in 2013, maybe 2014 when I was in the first little baby steps of my journey out of the IFB. Yeah. So I think you brought this up like a month ago, right? Yeah. I think I did, yeah. Yeah, so how you you know, you posted on Facebook in sort of like a if you know you know kind of way like some people knew you were getting out but like Yeah. Uh I made a Facebook post and and it was the first time I was one of the first posts I ever made 
that would have indicated I was getting out of the IFB in any way. And it was also the first time I ever said something supportive about LGBT people. And so what were you, were you at Pensacola at this time or were you still at uh, HAC or was it over the summer between? I was at Pensacola. So it may have actually been 2014. Yeah. And what was the reaction to it? Did people like. It was not the bombshell that I imagined it being. For the people who saw it, I don't know if they maybe just agreed or disagreed and kept scrolling and it wasn't as big of a deal to them as it was to me. But for me, it was a really big deal. So that was interesting. To answer Izzy's question, though, uh, in the United States, there was a blanket ban on all men who have sex with men for life. If you admitted to that on your on your blood donor registration forms one time, you would be deferred from donating permanently. Wow. Yeah. In 2015, after much work by advocacy groups, it was changed to a requirement of one year of abstinence. And then during COVID, this has been reduced to three months because of blood shortages. So that is a lot of progress and that's good. But this is it's still discriminatory because there are a lot of reasons that people may have HIV and who you have sex with and whether you use protection and whether you share needles with other people are only a few out of many reasons that yeah. you could potentially contract HIV. Yeah. And I mean, you could be gay and have been with like the same person for 20 years. Right. Right. So be like, yeah, be like zero risk and they'd still ban you, but you could be like straight and out here, like raw dog and random people every weekend, you know, getting chlamydia and syphilis. And they'd be like, yeah, sure. Why not? Like, right. And, and this, and it also completely, so it completely erases monogamous queer people. It also completely erases closed system polyamorous people, uh, like people who are in a committed and a, a committed and stable relationship with more than one person, but don't have sex with random people outside of that relationship of however many people it is. Also, uh, a woman who is monogamous with a bisexual man who had sex with men before he got into a committed relationship with that woman is also deferred unless she goes a year or three months without having sex with her own partner who she's monogamous with. Yeah. So I support ending this ban only in favor of better tests for HIV and blood because there are tests for all kinds of things done on every pint that's donated. And there wasn't a test that could detect early HIV infection back in the day when the ban was enacted, but now there is. There's a test that can detect it 14 days past exposure. And there's also PrEP and PEP widely available, and I support making PrEP and PEP more accessible. And with changes, you know, changes that make us all safer, there's no reason to defer somebody for three months just because they're a man who has sex with another man. I mean, it's it's really just a holdout. It's like a holdout of prejudice. Um, and maybe it was applicable like 40 years ago, even when they didn't have tests and like they, you know, literally that's half a lifetime ago and is not at all relevant today. Right. It, it was discriminatory when the law was made. Yeah. But back then we didn't have a good understanding of HIV and there was all this panic around it. So it, it wasn't... It wasn't the best decision, but it may have been what people thought was the best they could do at the time. With all the research that's been done, with the advancements that have been made, there's no reason for that kind of panic or fear now. I mean, yeah, when HIV first hit, when it was like the, the epidemic first hit, they didn't know what it was. It was called GRID, which stood for what was gay-related immunodeficiency because gay people were the ones who were getting it. 
and all they knew was that it had something to do with blood. They didn't have a test for it. That, like, they, they couldn't tell. Right. I mean, even this, we're talking about the time when Princess Diana made news for shaking hands with AIDS patients because yeah. people were afraid that she was going to get sick from shaking someone's hand. Yeah, but no, these days there's no excuse for it. Exactly. Izzy also had some good questions about baptism. And these are a lot. So I'm just going to I'm going to read them all off and then I'm going to try to answer them all at once. Yeah, Uh, because I like a challenge. So she wanted to know, do christenings or baby baptisms happen in the IFB? How do IFB parents welcome children into the church? Would I be considered saved by the IFB because I was baptized as a baby or would I have to recommit my life to Jesus and be baptized anew? I doubt they think I'd say it. I love wine and share a flat with my boyfriend out of wedlock. Can you be baptized twice? What does being baptized actually entail in the IFB? And when will they feel you are truly saved? How would they view my own baptism as a child? So a lot of the stuff I think we talked about in our Trail of Blood episode uh, when we were talking about Catholicism and the Anabaptists. Right. So I'm just going to recap that really quickly to try to sew it all up into one answer. Cool. There are not baby baptisms in the IFB because Baptists in general believe that you have to be old enough to know what you're doing to be baptized, which proves that they do actually have a rudimentary understanding of consent when it suits them. When it suits them. (laughs) Instead, IFB children are celebrated and praised when they get saved. This can often be as young as three or four, and it's usually before the age of seven or eight. Once the child is saved, they get baptized by immersion just like an adult would. Uh, A baptism ceremony would include you change into a dark-colored robe. It looks like a graduation gown meets romper kind of situation. Not super flattering. Uh, You get into a big baptismal tank with the pastor. He wears, like, waders over his suit. Baptist churches have a huge tank in front of their church behind the altar for this. Like, think, like, four bathtubs wide and three bathtubs deep, maybe. Could you use, like, an inflatable swimming pool? Yeah, people will use inflatable swimming pools or horse troughs um, sometimes. Horse trough? Yeah, it's, it's cheap and it holds the right amount of water. They, they believe that you have to get mm. completely dunked in the water. Compl- every part of you is underneath the surface of the water. So it has to be pretty big. You get in the tank and the pastor will hold like a white handkerchief over your mouth and nose and dunk you completely underwater. Izzy would not be considered saved by the IFB, regardless of your lifestyle choices, um, you wouldn't be considered saved because you weren't able to choose to be baptized or christened as a baby. So you would have to get saved, and then you'd be encouraged to be baptized. Baptists do not believe that baptism is necessary to go to heaven, but they also believe that if you're really saved, you will want to be baptized. But if you don't want to be baptized and you don't do it, you will still go to heaven if you're really saved. But if you're really saved, you would want to be baptized. Mm. But if you don't get baptized, you would still go to heaven because you are still really saved. That's it, it's a bit of a very confusing catch 22. <laughs> um, oh. Baptists are notorious for rebaptizing those who were baptized as babies in direct opposition to, to uh, Catholics and most other denominations who believe that any Christian baptism is valid and that it's heresy to do it again once it's been done. Yeah. Okay. That, that, I think that answers that one. Right? That was super short for me. I'm yeah. proud of myself. No, but it was succinct. It was to the point. You got it's, to the cross. Uh, yeah, the the beliefs about baptism are so complicated that it's really difficult to to get them all into to get them to make sense. <laughs> it, it's it's difficult. So it's often done in in the horse trough. I've seen uh, a lot of times. I've seen it done at like a river, though. Will they take somebody to a river mm-hmm. and do it there? 
Uh, yeah, Baptist, for some reason, the IFB aren't the biggest fan of doing it in a river. And I'm really not sure why, because many other sects of Baptists are super into river baptisms or oceans or lakes or whatever. I don't think I've ever been to a natural body of water baptism that I can think of. Huh. Not even at church camp, like kids getting baptized in the lake. I don't think so. No one got baptized at the Hiles Anderson uh, duck pond. Ew, you would not want to get in. <laughs> Trust me, that is the last lake you would ever want to get in. The lake at my Christian camp had water moccasins, and I would rather get in that lake than the Hiles Anderson Lake. Oy vey. <laughs> yeah. What, was it just full of duck poop? Yeah. The, uh, well, I'm going to tell you some more of what was in it in a, in a later question for this episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So this next question, this comes from our Facebook group, and this is one of the – so this is a question. I, So I think this is one of those things that it isn't big enough to get its own episode, but it's definitely funny enough for us to want to talk about. This question is, what is your take on the modest is hottest controversy? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, sh- I should answer this as a as a leader in the ex evangelical community. <clears throat> I this was t- the this was people snarked on this so hard, man. Like when this happened, man, it was like the snark city USA. Like the internet man was like blowing up. Yeah, uh, <sighs> this song kind of broke the internet for a while. Um, yeah. Oh. So this controversy for anybody who's been living under a rock or just in not in the Christian world, the controversy is about a song by Christian songwriter Matthew West. He wrote this song, the the whole premise of it, it's, it's a dad speaking to his daughters kind of thing. And the lyrics, oh man, the lyrics. It's straight cringe. It's like, it, so the premise of the song is, I mean, this the premise of the song is cringe from jump. It's this dad, he's singing to his, this song to his teenage daughters about what he wants them to wear and how he doesn't want them doing TikTok dances and crop tops. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's just super cringe. It's. Yeah, it, it's yeah. like anything, anything that a dad a dad in the movies who like has a shotgun on his daughter's prom date. Anything that dad would say is probably in the song. Yeah. That's very much the vibe. My, my favorite lyric is what the boys really love is a turtleneck and a sensible pair of slacks. I mean, at least he's okay with his daughters wearing pants. <laughs> Not a guarantee. Small wonders. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, so I saw this at this line where it's like, the boys really want a turtleneck, sensible pair of. Sl-. I pictured Lindsay Lohan in Mean Girls when she doesn't have anything pink and she has to uh, borrow Damien's polo shirt. <laughs> yeah. That, it's got that vibe as well. So, as far as my take on the song, I think it's probably obvious to literally everyone in the universe that I have an issue with the word modest, um, the way that it's used in contemporary Christianity. The word modest is typically used to police women's bodies and to make women feel responsible not only for sexual assault, should that happen to them, but even for the quote-unquote lustful thoughts that men may have when looking at their bodies. And you've been directly like victimized by this idea personally. Yeah, like very directly. I, I, This is not a story I'm choosing to go into super detail on our podcast about, but I have had men approach me and say, this thing, this particular item of clothing that you wore made me think lustful thoughts about you. So you have sinned because you caused my eye to lust. And I just wanted to let you know that you made me sin last Tuesday when you wore that particular piece of clothing. Oh. Yeah. 
um creepy within which which was within the dress code like i the the clothing i was wearing was within the dress code it was just that somebody looked at it wrong and that was supposed supposedly my fault and you were very much like a rule follower at this point too yeah 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 this is not like can't win this is not like on my way out i was wearing a skirt that was a quarter inch too short this was fully dressing within the rules these guys are basically just being like yeah i i i was staring at you in a really creepy way like that just like coming out and saying that yeah and it made me think lustful thoughts therefore you have committed the sin of adultery because you made me commit you made me think lustful thoughts yeah um which is so messed up because jesus literally said if your right eye causes you to lust pluck it out jesus said if you've got a lust problem blind yourself because that's whose fault it is. You can't have that, though, because that would mean consequences for men. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. Uh, so also in this song, uh, this guy, Matthew West, he's name checking a, a, a few women who he thinks are bad influences, including anyone with the surname Kardashian as well as Cardi B. And, you know, for me, this is just like the icing on the cake because obviously, you know, um, I am not immersed in the evangelical world, but I can assume uh, that Cardi B, the Kardashians, you know, their names are sort of thrown around as evil. Mm-hmm. You know, is, is that like, you know, when you were growing up, people would talk about Britney Spears or Madonna being evil, right? Right. Like in, any famous woman, um, any famous person is subject to this, but any famous woman especially is is just guaranteed to be a, a harbinger of god's judgment or something yeah so cardi b kardashians they're going to be thrown around as evil evidence of the breakdown of society breakdown of family values or whatever yeah um and this is acceptable because these women are famous so it's like punching up right sure yeah i mean i mean that's kind of the vibe at least i guess so he's gonna throw their names in there without a second thought because i i feel like you know this is especially cringe because if you know, if you're like like me, if you're not immersed in this world and you hear somebody just going in on the Kardashians or Cardi B or something like you um, or, you know, or if, if anyone that they think is like sexually immoral or, you know, they embody the promiscuity of modern culture or whatever, that makes you look bitter if you're the one going in on them. So like anything that. So, like, if you do anything that they would do that makes you bad, that's not like it's not a good look. It comes across as really sexist and really punching down. And this, and that's not to say that like the Kardashians aren't in other ways problematic or above criticism because Jesus Christ, there's a lot wrong with them. But dressing immodestly is not something that I really take an issue with. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree that that is all super problematic for like 12 reasons. But honestly, this isn't my biggest problem with the song and this may be a surprise but the modesty part is really not my biggest issue with this song and to be even more surprising especially to our longer term listeners or to people who know me in real life really well it's not even the heteronormativity that bothers me the most about this song or what bothers you the most it's the hottest part this this song, the whole point is that you should dress the way that men want you to. Not even the patriarchy, like literally the father of the young women in question, but the lyrics are like what the boys really love is this. I mean, on, for one thing, I'm pretty sure boys would rather see TikTok dances in a crop top and the whole premise is pretty flawed. But honestly, why? Why? Why should a young woman dress based on what's 
quote-unquote hottest in the first place. That's really not feminist. It's not. These people will portray themselves as we are feminist because we are telling women to cover up and be respected for their minds and not their bodies. What I'm saying is that that's, that's a false that's a false premise because it's a false choice. It is not. Yeah. And it's, it's not a woman's job to protect a man from lust. It is not a woman's job to manage a man's feelings or his thoughts, but it's also not her job to exist for the purpose of being attractive. It does make me angry to think that someone would tell my daughter that she has to dress modestly. And if not, she's responsible for the thoughts of the men around her. But I know that eventually someone is going to hit her with that kind of bull**** and someone is going to tell her that eventually because it happens to every woman. And I'll be right here to help her work through that and to tell her that she is not responsible for what people think about what she's wearing as long as she is dressed in a way that is comfortable to her and appropriate for the situation. What makes me far more angry than the idea that someone will someday tell her to cover up because she's responsible for men's thoughts is the concept that she should be expected to perform hottest. Whether hottest is a burqa or a bikini, in the opinion of the person singing or speaking, it doesn't matter because hottest is not the goal for me or for my daughter. We don't have to perform modesty to manage a man's emotions and thoughts for him, but we also don't have to perform hotness to address to a man's preferences. Any man. Ever. Yeah, I feel like the modest is hottest is like the type of slogan that you would see on like a bumper sticker, like some oh, dude. Yeah. yeah, some dude like tried to make it into like a song for God knows what reason. Like, so I'm a songwriter, right? I I I know other singers, other songwriters. Um, I perform with them. Um, and I've known other singer and songwriter types to make a song that's a bit of a gimmick or like a phrase that they thought sounded cool and when whenever whenever somebody does that the song is usually straight trash like it's not the best like they'll try to write a song to be a hit you know and then they'll try to make it catchy and then it'll flop and like that is just the vibe i'm getting here is that it like it wasn't i guess it wasn't a total flop because fundies will listen to anything that whatever trash that you know you put out there if you're pandering to them but and uh, well, yeah. what you what probably wouldn't know is that modest is hottest has been around in the fundy world as a catchphrase. I don't even know how long, at least since I was a teenager. It's been like a like a half joking, half serious thing for years. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. It's like like we had we had that phrase when I was like 14. So anyway, this guy plays this song at the Southern Baptist Convention, like their big meetup. And this was this is my my overarching biggest issue with the song is that this was terrible timing because this Southern Baptist convention at this meeting, <laughs> the SBC very nearly split over whether it's okay to say Black Lives Matter. Oh. Like, what? This is just, uh, just. Uh, oh, I thought I said something funny. The, no, like we, we very nearly had an outright militant anti-blm southern baptist splinter group the the denomination that's like 150 something years old or i don't even know almost split in two over racial injustice there was there were three main candidates for the new president of the southern baptist convention and one of them was outright 
anti-BLM, like mm. outright all lives mattering up in there. Yeah. So he's like, what, trying to just undo everything that the Southern Baptist Convention has tried to change about themselves in the past like half century. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. And, then, like and if you know anything about Southern Baptist history, you know that there is a lot of work that needs to be done and, and a lot of past injustices that need to be rectified. But in the middle of this very serious work where the Southern Baptist Convention had an, an opportunity to either uh, embrace their racist roots or embrace a new kind of Christianity that seeks justice, um, this very serious moment, Matthew West comes out with a joke song about turtlenecks and how yeah. modest is hottest. He did not read the room at all yeah. on this one. <laughs> So, so to sum up my thoughts on modest is hottest, you get weird out um, to play your funeral. <laughs> yes, although I think that would be better. I think I that would, would be more appropriate. If Weird Al played my funeral, I would be I would be about it. I would be fine with that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. okay. um, I was gonna say I'll remember that, but you're gonna outlive me because you're way healthier than I am. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know. Who knows? My I'm thoughts on modest is hottest, you. huh? I said I'm way dumber than you. <laughs> I'm not going to fight it. <laughs> My thoughts on this song. Modesty and modesty culture are BS, but the need to perform hotness is way more BS. But three, um, looking at this from an evangelical point of view, I can see that it's plausible that Matthew West was trying to be funny. It makes sense thinking from that mindset it makes sense that he really was just making a joke and that it was a joke in extremely bad taste that just didn't land we've all made jokes that didn't land but he picked an incredibly tasteless and inappropriate time to be joking when the future of the southern baptist convention was in jeopardy yeah and for the so most part, <laughs> yeah, I, for the most part, I feel like people are totally willing to forgive problematic songs if the songs themselves are good, you know, but song does not slap it at all. It sounds like I I don't know. It's like it sounds like if you think Jack Johnson and Jason Mraz are too edgy, then this is like the, the song for you. Right. Like <laughs> pro problematic songs can <laughs> can be worthwhile like anything by the bloodhound gang or the mountain goats or the offspring or some of the aforementioned weird owl <laughs> problematic songs can be overlooked occasionally if they're saying something real if they're saying something authentic uh or if it's a really good song depending on how problematic it is versus how good it is yeah but this is not that yeah it's not every breath you take by the police great song super problematic oh mm. no, no no not that one F that song man hmm. not a good song can't do it. If Roxanne too, while we're talking about the police, I hate those worse than I hate Modest is Hottest. Really? Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I am. I am. I am. I am a real. I, I have a real vendetta against every breath you take and Roxanne. I literally left a band one time because they were going to perform. Well, one, they were going to perform Lady Marmalade with a white singer, uh, and they were going to perform, mm. and they were going to perform Roxanne. That seems um, inappropriate. Both of these, Lady Marmalade is not for white people to perform. It's literally about a sex worker of color who uses the racism that gets thrown against her as a tool to advance herself in her own interests. It's a great song. Uh, personally, I feel like it is explicitly about a woman of color using racism 
for like using racism or working through it to bring about her own good. And I feel like it being that racially, racially centered, it's not ideal for white people to sing it. Uh, and Roxanne is so swerfy. Roxanne is so swerfy that it goes all the way back around the other side of horseshoe theory. And it's not even feminist. Did you know that the words to strange fruit were written by a Jewish man? No, I didn't. Yeah. Uh, he, I believe he saw a postcard of a lynching and then he wrote the poem and then it got put to music later. Yeah. Strange I, Fruit is a very important song. Very important song. Uh, uh, to be fair, uh, I just want to say every breath you take is problematic on purpose. Uh, and as a songwriter, sometimes you write from the perspective of somebody that isn't you. You know, you make up a character. Uh, but that is not what Matthew West is doing here because he literally has two teenage daughters. I, I can't believe I didn't bring this up before, but Matthew West has two teenage daughters who are in the music video to the song. So obviously there was a lot of backlash over this song. And now he's saying that it was a joke. Uh, but if it was a joke, why did you perform it at the Southern Baptist convention? And also like, if you were going to try to like it, because that's where you're going to play it. If you're like, okay, yeah, let's let me do this for a friendly audience who are like, yeah, women need to cover up Southern Baptist convention. <laughs> that's what we're about. Like, right. yeah. Anyway, I have seen more than a few uh, angry man in truck rant videos about this, where guys get all mad about the culture war and uh, cancel culture and the silencing of Matthew West. Which is always yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, in this case, I don't think anybody really tried that hard to cancel or silence him. I think the whole thing's a bit overblown. Obviously, what happened was he didn't really think twice about it being controversial. And then he made this song because that's what he believes or whatever. And I mean, it's the equivalent of getting fired because of like an offhanded comment that you made that was like racist or sexist or something but had nothing to do with your job um yeah i mean i kind of the, when he first came out and said it was meant to be a joke i didn't really believe him but then i thought about it and now i i think maybe i do believe him that it was supposed to be a joke like a fundy passive aggressive joke there are other fundy songs like this they're sort of jokes but sort of not fundies are real great at being passive aggressive but the the, the i think the the greater issue like i said I don't like the modest part. I really don't like the hottest part. But the the biggest issue of all is that it could not have been worse timing. Do fundies possess the power to be like self-satirizing and self-deprecating? Or Some do. Nah. Um, you might not be surprised to hear that my family was and still is really good at writing song parodies. I met your parents. That's believable. Yeah. yeah. We used to write parodies of songs like about our church and ourselves and people we knew. Um, <laughs> I wrote a parody. Do you know the song Desperado by the Eagles? Yes, I know it. Um, Good track. I wrote a... Are you going to sing it? No. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I'm surprised. I'm not the biggest uh, Eagles fan. I don't know. I they're They're all right. They've never been my favorite. I was I've always been into classic rock, but the Eagles have never been really my shtick. I I enjoy the Eagles. I don't listen to them as often as I do other bands that I like. But they come up for me now and then. I was like um, Led Zeppelin better. You know, I think I like the Eagles better. But but respect, that's that's cool. It's fine. What was I trying to say? Oh, I wrote a parody of Desperado and it the lyrics were like, um, Mr. Fundy, why don't you come to your senses? You've been out soul winning for so long. Oh, that is funny. Yeah, I thought it was yeah. pretty good. And freedom, Christian freedom. Well, that's just some liberal talking. <laughs> you 
Yeah, I, I thought it would. I'll, I'll, um, I found the notebook where I have my lyrics in it the other day. I might read them on a future episode. We should record it. Oh my gosh! That an episode, we, yeah. could, we could. Oh right! <laughs> I just realized that we have recording equipment. We're musicians. We made this song for the podcast and then put it on the podcast. Okay, but <laughs> what I really want to do though is I want to do a weird Al style parody of this song, but like make it the opposite. You know, go full WAP on it because that's that's what this is. That's what they like. Christians heard WAP and they're just like, we need to make a song to respond to this nonsense. So you know, just like make it super dirty. Call it like thoughtist is hottest. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. So how does the song go? It goes, uh, the boys really want is a turtleneck and a sensible pair of socks. No, it's going to be what the boys really want is some camel toe and oh. a picture of your rack. Because oh, <laughs> thought is I'm not, hot. No. I, I uh. support you. I'm not singing on this. <laughs> I have a child. Ah. I have to consider her future. Yeah. Mm. Uh. I think mm. I think on that I think on the note of thoughtest is hottest, um <laughs> should go take up the offering and and come back for some more questions. Yeah. Okay. Uh. Hey, it's Sadie. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode one, where we start the whole story. You might also want to check out our cult true crime series the first family of fundamentalism. If you like the show, you can support us by joining our Patreon where we have extended and uncensored episodes available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. (laughs) The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast and we really do appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. I remember worrying so much as a first-time mom about whether I was doing it right, and that was with no pre-programming. You're doing amazing, by the way, and I love hearing Chuck's little baby noises on the podcast. So I don't want to spoil too much because we are going to do an entire episode on biblical motherhood. 
in a very literal sense. Like here are some famous mothers of the Bible and how they inspire my parenting, both uh, some of them what to do and some of them what not to do. And we're also going to talk about some of the more literal questions like, did Mary deliver Jesus on her own or would there have been a midwife? Did Joseph cut the umbilical cord? What would she have done if she couldn't breastfeed? Was there anything like a car seat to put Jesus on the back of the camel? Uh, stuff like that. Yeah, th that that episode, you were like really pumped to get into that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I think that those of us who are Christians get a little bit heady about Bible characters inspiring us. It's like, oh, well, I want this Bible character to inspire me to be bold, or this Bible character inspires me to be truthful, which are fine. Like Those are fine character traits to be inspired by, by characters in scripture. But I, I think that that Bible characters can reach us on a more literal and a more human level than that. You know, I think that Mary, the mother of Jesus, probably had a lot of the same worries about her son as I have about my daughter. She was a first-time mom, too, like just like I am. She went through the same thing that I'm going through. Like She birthed a child just like I birthed a child. She stayed up late nights with her kid. Like right now, Chuck is teething. Um, so she cries a lot. And it it really does something for me to realize that, you know, at one point Jesus was teething and Mary was up at night with him too. And, and she didn't have Tylenol. I, I think that, I think that there, there's a more literal way that Bible characters can inspire us in addition to the kind of esoteric way. And we're going to get into that in that episode. Yeah, that one should be really interesting. Um, I also wanted to say that I am glad that you like hearing Chuck's baby noises on the podcast because Sadie, who is deeply committed to producing a professional product, like, you know, more power to you. Uh, no one will, no one in their right mind can listen to the show and think that you're half assed about anything. But Sadie keeps saying to me, she's like, oh, I wish Chuck didn't cry so much on the podcast. I think it's unprofessional. In my opinion, as of right now, it's a bit unavoidable. It's just something that we've got to work around and it's not really like that big a deal or, you know, a, a huge setback. I, I love her cute little baby noises in general. I just, I don't want to distract from the message of our show. And I also don't want this to prevent us from expanding our audience. Yeah, see, for me, I think it's fine because our audience is compassionate people. Our audience is like... 80% female and like 65% between the ages of 23 and 39. So like a lot of mothers of young children are, they know the deal. They know that if you've got a baby and you're trying to work, things are inconvenient and noisy and we deal with it as best we can. Like last week's episode. Um, <laughs> so I think we recorded that one. We had to record that one over uh, about three days five different yep. sessions yeah so it was five different recording sessions that we had to piece together uh, over the course of three days because every time we sat down to record it we get through like 20 minutes or a half hour and the baby would need attention uh so we'd have to break uh i'd go do some freelance podcasting editing for a bit because you know that's what i do and then we'd come back to it uh but you know it's all just about okay can we be flexible about how we do this and thankfully we have the uh the freedom to do that uh, but to answer your question cat being a parent has just in general opened up a lot of old wounds that i thought were healed over and i my theory is i think this is something that happens to a lot of parents even parents who weren't raised in a cult or don't have the 
the highly specific trauma that I and some of our listeners have. I think being a parent in general puts a spotlight on a lot of the damage that we carry within ourselves that isn't completely healed. For me, it has brought up a lot of feelings around gender roles. Um, I don't feel guilty when my husband is taking care of the baby specifically. I do feel guilty when I can't do it all. The IFB puts women, specifically homemakers, on such a pedestal as perfect wives and perfect housekeepers and perfect cooks. And I'm in a phase right now where I I take care of the baby all day while my husband works. I have the podcast. I'm also a full-time student in online college. And I'm very lucky to have a husband who is great about doing housework. My husband is also a better cook than I am. Not that I'm a bad cook. He's just a, an even better one. Well, you're an excellent baker. Yes. Typically, he does the meal and I do the dessert because he's he's a better cook, but um, I'm a better baker. Hashtag relationship goals. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I feel like I should be able to get more out of my day. Like I, I get through my day and I took care of, I took care of the baby all day and maybe I did a little bit of housework. I had time to, you know, I had time to do the laundry, but I didn't have time to unload and reload the dishwasher. I just, I feel, it makes me feel inadequate sometimes because I get in my head about, well, how does Michelle Duggar do housework and homeschool and have dinner on the table every night and be pregnant all the time? So I think I I can get a little bit caught up in the comparison of, well, why can't I do more? But what I've had to remember is that, that those people who look like they have it all together often have a lot of help in the form of other church members helping, in the form of older daughters helping out. Also, they don't have podcasts. So this has it has brought up a lot of things for me, but in a way I'm I'm grateful that it has brought up some things that were not as healed as I thought they were. I think for me, especially doing this podcast and doing the writing that I do, I think it's healthy for me to have a reminder that I'm not completely healed, that I haven't attained some kind of godlike status of complete deprogramming. I get a lot of comfort out of knowing that I'm actively on this journey, like so many of our listeners. Um, I don't ever want to think or portray myself as me leading you to perfect healing. It's not that. It's me walking beside so many of our listeners. It's me holding your hand and going through this healing together. And also, I feel like from talking to you anytime, you know, when your husband's taking care of the baby, you're just like, okay, great. Now I'm going to do some homework. Like, <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of how it is. It's not like, oh, I feel guilty. It's like, oh, great. Now I'm going to do homework. Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> homework is homework is is like my fun time sometimes now um hey you love learning that's why i said you should be a ravenclaw uh, nope um (laughs) i i love my baby i love taking care of her but i also it's very important to me to feel like i have a life in addition to her i i do feel that i was made to be a mother being a mom is is part of my greater purpose it's a major part of my life goals that i'm really happy to be to be closer to, you know, I'm happy to have that life goal of like have a kid checked off. Um, now I just have to check off the one of raising the kid, which I think is significantly harder. <laughs> I, I just don't feel that being a mom is my only greater purpose. It's not my only life goal. And it's not the one thing at the top of the list of things I want to do. It's one of the five things at the top of the list of things that I really, really want to do. And I'm glad that you that you kind of brought up this side of it. I feel like women are so often put into boxes of either career mom or stay-at-home mom. And I'm neither one of those really 
is me. I have a thing that I do that takes up a lot of time in this podcast, and I also have a kid who is my main responsibility. I don't like the idea that I have to be one or the other, because neither one is really the correct description for me. Thomas Jefferson was called a renaissance man because he did so many things, aside from the very things that he did. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was a winemaker, a politician, an ambassador, a writer, a translator. He spoke multiple languages. He uh, was into horticulture. He was into interior decorating and a a lot more. He was, he, he had so many hobbies and interests and, and interesting things that he did and things that he worked on mastering. I refuse to accept that he can be a Renaissance man and I can't be a Renaissance woman or a Renaissance person. Like, just because I am somewhat less shitty, hopefully, and because I birthed a baby. Somewhat less shitty than Thomas Jefferson is a... I hope. I mean, it's a bar that we can all uh, strive for. <laughs> I mean, you know, it doesn't hurt, you know, that this show we're doing uh, has a flexible schedule. And since, like, my not-this-podcast job is freelance podcast editing, it means that basically any time she can text me, she can be like, okay, I could put the baby down for a nap. We can try to work on an outline for an hour. I can just be like, okay, great. Drop what I'm doing. Um, open up the Google doc. And it's not like disruptive. And so being able to base our show's process around what your baby's schedule is like has been key for us. Yeah. That's a real, a real um, benefit. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's just, you know, something that we have to, that we have to deal with. But that's totally fine. Um, and we like doing it. So do you want to move on to the next question? Yeah. So this question is a, a question I haven't been asked by any one person in particular, but I have been asked by like a lot of people. And so this is what other podcast do you like? What other podcast would you recommend that we listen to? Oh, that's a that's a good one. Yeah. So we're going to. Yeah. So maybe we break it first? down into a few categories. Right. So. Okay. So if you were getting out of like a cult if you're getting out of the ifb like what would you say people should listen to other than our podcast you know what's really a really useful one is stuff you should know um this is like one of the first podcasts to go super big and it was the first podcast i ever listened to i listened to it almost every night to fall asleep and i have been doing that for like 10 or 12 years just like general knowledge and stuff. Yeah, it taught me so much about science and biology and culture. Um, they just do explanations of literally anything. So the episode that I'm on right now is it's how ketchup works. So they talk about the history of ketchup and how ketchup became popular and how it's changed through the ages from the original recipe and how Heinz marketing campaign made them the biggest ketchup company in the world. Interesting. And like if it's popular in other countries, what other countries use ketchup and what do they use it for? Wow. Yeah. So, so this is sort of similar to, so when we had Evan on, I remember uh, last month we had Evan on and he was telling us about how when he got out of the IFB, he would just go to the library and read stuff because he was really into history. So he would just read history, learn whatever he could. So this is kind of like that. Yeah. They'll have historical episodes. The Henrietta Lacks episode is stunningly good they'll have kind of fun ones like how ketchup works or how haunted houses work um they'll have serious episodes like how the criminal justice system works or how affordable housing works they'll have episodes about tornadoes or deep sea fishing or human reproduction or pokemon just literally anything you can think of there's probably an episode about it so if you're fresh out of the ifb uh you've only had ace or a a beka um a a becca (laughs) yes 
Why is is a Becca or a Becca? Okay, it's okay, a whatever. Becca. The founder's wife's name is Becca. Oh my really? god! Was Becca? She passed oh away. Oh my recently. god, that's that's annoying. Um, <laughs> and but say like you're straight out of the IFB, IBLP, and that's all you've had, and or you've had like Bill Gothard's uh, wisdom booklets as your education. <laughs> And you only went to like, and you went to like a Bible college or something. And all they did was be like, Hey, you want to learn about this subject? There's a Bible verse you can memorize about it. Like <laughs> this would, this is good if you're just trying to be like, okay, now I need to know things because I'm in the world now. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing resource. Um, stuff you should know is also family friendly. So it's something it's, it's made with parents listening with children in mind. So it's something I really look forward to listening to with Chuck when she's older. It's it's like reading an encyclopedia, but more entertaining. That's great. So if you're uh, like if you're getting your family out, then you can listen to it with the kids in the car. Definitely. So most of my other podcasts are not so kid friendly, except for Sawbones. Sawbones is really good. It's a husband and wife. The wife is a doctor, and they talk about weird medical stuff from history. Like weird ways that we used to try to fix people when they were sick, like leeches and trepanation and stuff. It's really Ooh. fun. Oh, it's it's super fun and it's presented in like a in a way that it's not too terribly gory, which is nice. Um, if you want something that's the exact opposite of that and is extremely gory and not safe for most people, much less children, uh, the podcast My Funeral Home Stories is good. I like it. Um, Gavi would not like it. <laughs> No, I don't, At all. I don't like gore. Yeah. It's definitely, if you don't follow at least three morticians on TikTok already, don't even think about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so other than that, though, I listen to Behind the Bastards. Anything Robert, Evan does, Robert Evans does is absolutely golden. Um, he had a serialized novel called After the Revolution, which just came out in podcast form as well. If anybody ever gets me on Behind the Bastards as a guest... Um, I will drink any flavor of Mountain Moo that you can come up with. <laughs> That's right. We have to do that again, don't we? I think we, we do got because to, we got to 100,000. We got to 100,000 downloads. We'll and now do we it both on have our anniversary. Drink. We can do it on yeah. our anniversary live stream. Um, <laughs> That's coming up. It's like two weeks, I, three weeks. I don't. Let, let me live in blissful ignorance for a few more weeks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also really like Disgraceland and The 27 Club. Those are both like rock and roll true crime podcasts, which are, which are really cool. Of course, our buddies over at This Is Awful, which has replaced my other true crime podcast because they're just better. Our friends wow. at Permanent Waves podcast. Yeah. So I want to especially shout out to Permanent Waves because Permanent Waves actually had us interview for their show before our first episode even came out. I just knew. Yeah, they Ray... took like a big, a big shot on us and it was really very sweet of them. Yeah, they're like really great people. Uh, Ray and Ben. Um, they're, they're, I talk to Ray all the time, literally like every, like all the time I talk to Ray. Yeah, Ray's like both of our best friends now. He's a great homie. Uh, Ray from Permanent Waves, we love you. Uh, if you are a fan of the Canadian prog rock band Rush, go listen to Permanent Waves immediately. It has to become one of your favorites because, uh, you know, it's like just good natured uh, friends talking about something that they love. Yeah. So, um, of course, our, our, you know, our podcast friends at those two shows. And then I sometimes listen to uh, my brother, my brother and me. You would have to you would have to be deep into the lore of that show to have picked up any of the references that I've laid down so far. But now maybe people will start noticing them. Oh, I had 
one more. Um, for people leaving cults, there's a show called Ono, oh Ross, and Carrie. They try out religions and like pseudoscience stuff and report on it. So they joined Scientology for a while. Ooh. Yeah, and then the Scientologists found out they were reporters and kicked them out of Scientology permanently. <laughs> and now their faces are in a black book in the lobby of every Scientology building saying these people are not allowed in. <sighs> they got to like level 11. They got like Phaetons kicked out of them and all kinds of shit. It was wow. great. Their Scientology series is the best. They also joined the Mormons for a while, but they do a lot of other... Sounds not quite as interesting, but... The Mormon ones were good. The Mormon ones were really informative um, about like what Latter-day Saints actually believe. Ross and Carrie have also tried a lot of alternative medicine type things. Um, so they'll like they'll try like acupuncture and be like, this is what it was like. And did it help me or not? They'll try like essential oils and they'll be like, I tried essential oil treatment for my headaches and... This is whether or not it worked. So hmm. it's it's very practical and very science based. That's interesting. I should check that out. I don't listen to that you one. You would yeah, probably like Onrack, like yeah. Yeah. So um I think you and Carrie have a similar personality. Really? Okay. That's fun. So there is one show that I really want to talk about because I honestly believe that without this show, we wouldn't have our show, or at least the uh, we wouldn't have the same approach to doing our show. And that show is The Pat Down with Miss Pat. Oh, of course. Yeah. So uh, obviously, this is a comedy podcast. Uh, ours isn't a comedy, but Miss Pat's is. Uh, uh, she is a comedian. She is just about the funniest woman that you will ever hear in your life. Definitely not a child-friendly show. <laughs> just want to put that out there. Do not listen to this show if you have young kids in the car. They will be asking some questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah so miss pat miss pat um her upbringing if you can believe it is even more alarming than most ifb people uh, <laughs> yeah she's she's a podcaster who has a crazier life story than me yeah so by that uh i mean like she was molested when she was a kid she had two kids before she was 15 she grew up she was very poor in like atlanta and she dropped out of school to become a crack dealer when she was like 15. She went to jail. Uh, she went from dealing crack to doing check fraud. Now she's a comedian. <laughs> I mean, but like her whole perspective is that like, you know, despite all of these really, really awful things happening to her in the first part of her life, you know, she can laugh about them. And that gives her power over these things. And, you know, I was listening to that show a lot when we first start, like, got started with our show. And, you know, I recommended it to Sadie when we were starting out. I think that sort of the same kind of ethos is, is the same as what we try to embody. Because, you know, a lot of this IFB stuff and a lot of this cult stuff is dark. It's, uh, it's, it's disturbing. It's traumatic. It's, but, you know, being able to find humor in the absurdity of it maybe takes the teeth out a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so it like a little bit easier to talk to or, or to, it makes it a little bit easier to talk about for hours on end. And I think maybe for our listeners as well, if we can joke about stuff, then it, it makes it a little I, easier to cope with. Yeah, I don't ever want to disparage anybody's method of coping with their trauma, but my method is generally laughing about it. There, yeah. are, there are very few things from my past um, that I will not or or don't feel that I can just crack up about. And and Miss Pat has very much the same approach, I think, to the wacky things that she's been through. The Pat Down is so good. Um there I don't catch every episode of the Pat Down, but I it's because I can't listen I, I listen to podcasts 
when I sit still to feed the baby so that I can have eyes on her and give her my attention, but my brain isn't just running in circles around itself. And I listen to podcasts when I'm trying to fall asleep at night. Well, I can't listen to the pat down when I'm trying to feed the baby or when I'm trying to fall asleep at night because I laugh so hard (laughs) (laughs) that I disturb the baby or wake up my husband because I'm like, if I'm listening to it, lying in bed, trying to go to sleep, I laugh and it shakes, (laughs) I laugh so hard it shakes the bed and wakes my husband up. (laughs) So I, so I, you know, I, I listen to Pat down when I can, but I, I just, it doesn't suit my falling asleep because you'll laugh too much. You did forget to list one very crucial part of Miss Pat's story when you were doing the rundown of her life. What's that? You forgot that she got her nipple shot off. Oh, <laughs> oh God. I don't know how you forgot yeah. that. Yeah. That's, oh, that's an man. important part of the story. Yeah. She. <laughs> Yeah, if I mean, if you if you came to our show um, because you were uh, you say you were listening to Recovering Fundamentalists or something, and you heard about <laughs> us from there, maybe the pat down isn't for you. <laughs> but otherwise, otherwise, uh, you might really like it. Uh, I cry laughing every episode. I can't listen to it every. Like you have to be in a mood to like be like, no, I want to like literally. See, I- laugh so hard that I will piss myself today. Like, <laughs> See, I I save it to listen to when I'm in a bad mood because it always cheers me up. It always makes me laugh. So I, I wanted to say something real quick about what you just mentioned about uh, Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Yeah. I feel like those of us who have come out of fundamentalism, we're all deconstructing or recovering. And it's only natural that we all deconstruct or recover to different levels. I do think there are some things that are an absolute must I think that sexism, homophobia, and toxic legalism, among other things, just gotta go. And I'm going to hold my fellow creators accountable and challenge them when I feel like they're not letting those things that absolutely need to go, those things that are the reasons that we left the IFB to begin with. If they're not letting those things go, I feel like I have somewhat of a responsibility to stand up against that. But aside from that, we all end up different places. And I'm working on accepting that not everybody lands in the same spot as I do. I am happy that we are the most extreme, if you want to use that word, of the XIFB podcasts. Well, we're so extreme XIFB that I'm not even XIFB. <laughs> like, that... I mean, you're not even Christian. So no. I mean, that's, that's very out there to these people. That is very out there for uh, these people. I am happy and proud that we are a space for people who have landed farther away from fundamentalism. But I, I want to I want to make sure that I'm expressing that I don't think that everybody is wrong unless they land as far as, uh, as far away as I did. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. Like for all our listeners, if you made it out of the IFB and you know you're happy to be. I guess, fairly conservative in your Christian beliefs, but you've dropped all like the really culty stuff. And we still love you. We still think that's valid. We still applaud you for like making the steps that you've made, you know, life's a journey. Yeah. And I've, I've been realizing that I can be a tad overzealous about wanting everyone to deconstruct to the level that I'm at. And it's, it's not out of ill intent. It's because I'm happy and I feel secure at the level where I am and I enjoy life and I want other people to have that happiness and that security too. But I'm working on balancing that with the understanding 
that people who leave the absolute worst parts of the IFB behind, but don't come as far as I have, are still okay, and that, and that they may be happy at a different level. Because it's really, I just want people to be happy, but I need to accept that people can be happy at different levels than I am. I mean, what do we say at the beginning of every episode? We say freedom of religion, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we mean that, so... Yeah. Uh, ready for the next question? Yeah, next question. Okay. So I wanted to do a question from David in the Facebook group. Cool. He said, as an ex-evangelical Assemblies of God, I always wondered what groups like the IFB thought of speaking in tongues and other gifts of the Holy Spirit. Places like Liberty University didn't allow students to attend who subscribed to those beliefs. So were they considered worse than Democrats or drug addicts? I say they because I am, well, was Pentecostal only by association. Also, has any church anywhere have any clue on how to treat its single members? <laughs> Which is a great question. Yeah. Okay. Wait. So what, what does he mean by what are, so I know what speaking in tongues is. What is gifts of the Holy Spirit? Um. So other gifts of the Holy Spirit. So do you know? You, no, you don't. Okay. So the fruit of the Holy Spirit fruit is. Fruit of the Holy Spirit. Oh, man. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. Like dragon fruit? Sure. Star um, fruit. Hey, it could be yeah. star fruit because, you know, the, the star, Bethlehem. Oh, that oh that's work. good. Yeah. yeah sure. Star fruit is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, I guess. I don't know. You're actually onto the right kind of analogy. Um, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is the, the idea is that the Christian is a tree. And if a tree is healthy, if a fruit tree is healthy, it will produce tr- fruit. Like if an apple tree is healthy it, and mature, it will produce apples. And that if a Christian is healthy and mature and full of the Holy Spirit, they will they will present or produce this fruit, the fruit and its character traits that somebody who really believes the tenets and lives the tenets of Christianity will naturally produce. Okay, that makes sense. Right. This does make sense. So the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and tenderness. I like all of those except for long suffering. I I don't. Maybe temperance. I can't remember the song. It's a song. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, something. Why do all I, of your songs have the same melody? Because they're IFBs and there's only so many melodies you can do without syncopation or drums. That's the same melody as the, um, as the, I believe in the book no, of hope, the book of the I book. believe in the blessed hope, the book and the blood. No, it's not. Those are the same. That's the same melody. <laughs> it's not. It's just similar. Anyway, it's like a vanilla ice. You know what I'm saying? Yes, where they you know stole the talking? record under pressure. <laughs> yes. Um. Anyway, they're that vanilla was... icing themselves. <laughs> they're vanilla icing themselves. Man, vanilla ice is the real uh, fruit of the of the the vanilla bean is the fruit of the Holy Spirit because they're vanilla icing themselves. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the the fruit of the spirit is what a Christian who really believes in Christianity and really lives it should naturally exhibit in their life if they're following the principles that, that they should be. Um, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, there I think there are also nine. I can't quote them because there wasn't a song for them. But the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are things that God helps you do that will enhance your Christian life and enhance your ability to be a good Christian. So I know that one of them is discernment. So discernment is the ability to to look at a situation and make a wise decision, the, the ability to consider the different outcomes or the different options in a wise way, the ability to pick up on things that other people might miss. 
I'm trying to think of what another gift of the spirit is. Prophecy is one. Being able to prophesy is a gift of the spirit. Unless you're a woman. Yeah. Unless you're a woman in the IFB. The Apostle Paul was all about it. All about gender equality. I'm trying to think of another one, but it's not coming to mind because we've been recording for a while. Those are gifts of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In Pentecostal and charismatic type churches, prophesying takes on a whole different meaning because people will do that like at the same time as they're speaking in tongues. David, so let me get back to David's question. David's one of our super fans. He's been here since the very beginning, and I appreciate him a bunch. David's been in the Facebook group since there was like 10 people in the Facebook group. David is an OG. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he's been around. Uh, now there's like 300, so. <laughs> the IFB has a very low opinion of people who speak in tongues or dance around during church services simply because they don't believe that the Holy Spirit prompts that kind of display. The IFB believes that the tongues at Pentecost were other languages. And that if someone is speaking in tongues, but it's not translatable into English from another language, then that's not valid. It's not of the Holy Spirit. They tend to see that kind of thing as attention seeking. However, as we all know, the IFB says that all sins are equal before God. But in reality, the IFB practice a hierarchy of sins. They definitely don't see people who attend that kind of church or people who speak in tongues in the same way as they do liberals or drug addicts. So I have heard it said that people who do that aren't really saved. But I've also heard a lot more of, oh, they're really Christians. They're just misguided on their practice of speaking in tongues. I did hear speaking in tongues being preached about a lot from pulpits of churches that I attended. It was seen as a sign of being carnal, of being worldly, uh, and it was it was lumped in with the likes of TV preachers, which they also really hate. I also, I agree with David that churches have a really hard time knowing how to treat single members. It's really cruddy in most churches. But they're just trying to get you to, to marry you off as soon as possible. Right. Like the whole thing, it's like, oh, singleness is a journey, but it always ends in marriage. And like the idea that marriage and children are, are the end goal for everybody and that if you're not married, if you're single, if you're not married, then it's like a trial that God is putting you through or a test or a punishment. And like there's some like cosmic reason and and really erasing people who don't want to be married, people who want to be single for a time on purpose, like to work on themselves, people who have a million reasons why they are not dating someone or not married right now that are 100% valid and none of the church's business. I just wish the churches would remember that the Apostle Paul was single and that marriage does not, He, I mean, it says in the Bible, marriage does not have to be the end goal for everybody and that there are way more valid reasons for that than the church is willing to consider. I want to talk about speaking in tongues for a minute, though. Can we uh, just Oh, yeah, we can circle back. Yeah, because I didn't think that this was real. And then I saw a video of people doing it. And then I thought these people have lost their goddamn minds like honestly i want to like i want to know if people speaking in tongues like do they know that it's bullshit and it's like an emperor's new clothes situation where like none of them want to say that they're faking or it's or is it just some like religious hysteria type thing that you just dis- like when you describe that you were ready to, to sign your life away at 14 to become a missionary for jesus it's a hundred percent real like people really? do that in churches across the country Every single Sunday. I think in a lot of cases, it's a type of religious hysteria and people are 100% convinced that the Holy Spirit is speaking through them in a lot of cases. I've also read quite a few stories from people who grew up in that kind of environment who 
came out of it later and said that they were faking a lot as a kid because they didn't feel the spirit like the people around them, but they wanted to fit in with their community or they needed to fit in to feel safe in that community. So it's it's definitely a little bit of both. I guess if you're if so if you were raised in that church and you saw somebody speaking in tongues in church growing up, you think it's normal. But if you didn't and then you go to like a new church and you see it and people are doing it and you're like, I can't imagine any other response other than like what is happening right now. Like, you know, and then never going back because it, it's that is some like culty shit. If I ever saw people doing that, I'd be like, this is a cult for sure. Like, yeah, but if you weren't crap. raised in the IFB and you went to the church for the first time and you saw most of the congregation go down to kneel at the altar at the end of the sermon and like cry and pray and all that, you would think that seemed super culty too. Yeah. I, you know, I guess you're right. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's all depends on what you were raised with and what you were used to. So do you remember back in November when it was looking like Trump was about to lose the election and, but it hadn't like been declared yet? You know, you yes. know what I'm saying? Like, so there was that televangelist Paula White and that viral video where she was talking about angels being dispatched from Africa and South America to like fight the yes. demonic position. You remember that video? And yes, then she just started fun. spewing gibberish. I was so confused when I saw this. And like some guy was just walking on the stage behind her with a towel because everyone was like just cleaning. And they're like, the party's over. Like we're cleaning. Like I see people speaking in tongues and I see like, I'm like, these people can't be serious. Yeah. I. It, it's a practice I don't know much about, but maybe in the future future i can do some research for an episode but but these they absolutely are serious uh, i can tell you that i can't i'm not gonna just throw it out a guess on what percentage of people that do it really believe in it without any research i feel like i shouldn't just just pull numbers out of thin air like that but i do i would feel confident in saying that many of them do 100% believe that they are that they are speaking in tongues because of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'll see if I can find any research on how many people say that they do believe 100% versus uh, how many people have later come out and said that they never did believe that they were actually speaking in tongues. Yeah, so maybe if we ever do an episode about the Pentecostals or like Assemblies of God, that would be a good one. I think in the future, uh, I would like to do an episode about those groups as well as Apostolics and highlight the differences and similarities between them and the IFB because the theology is different, but the clothing styles and the external look can look very similar to outsiders. I know from personal experience that IFB girls get mistaken for Pentecostals, Assemblies of God, or Apostolics all the time. And I know that you're on the Fundy Fashion subreddit. Most of the people on there are apostolic, but there are also some other very similar non-IFB groups. Yeah, so that would be a really good episode topic. Yeah, I um, think it would. So our last question is going to be a super fun one. I'm excited for it. This is coming from Emery, who wrote to us during Pride Month. Emery is a friend of the podcast. Um not only did he write us a great email during Pride Month, he also likes all my tweets. And that makes me feel special. See, how now you guys know how you want to get in Sadie's good book. You just go on Twitter, like her tweets yeah. every time she posts. Yeah, like my, <laughs> like my tweets and like my Instagram posts. And yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're so vain. Uh, I'm, I'm coming yeah. from me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am the vain uh, co-host of Leaving Eden. <laughs> Anyway, he, we'll he, wants, 
he wants to know uh, so we're doing a lot of nerd stuff in this episode but uh we we love it we're here for it uh he wants to know our D alignments if, if so and for us to speculate on the D alignments of various famous fundies so the duggars hiles dynasty maybe throw uh bank bills gothard in there as well sadie what would you say your alignment is I really struggle with this one because I waffle a lot every time I try to get an answer. Um, I feel like I waffle between chaotic good and true neutral. And I'm mostly basing this on my idea of justice. Like I'm very obsessed with justice being done. Things have to come out, not necessarily fair, but that justice be served is, is kind of the thing for me. However, if I don't believe that justice has been served, I'm not above enacting my own justice. I'm, I'm generally, <laughs> I'm generally in favor of harming the fewest people possible. Uh, but I am also generally the kind of person who knows how to take a valve stem off. So, mm-hmm. in my in my pursuit of justice. I generally like to imagine the fewest number of people being hurt or harmed. But that being said, justice is incredibly important to me. I'm not um, not opposed to the idea of a little bit of street justice, which kind of comes off as chaotic good to me. See, if I were going to uh, do your alignment, I would definitely put you more as chaotic good than true neutral. Uh, I think I have days, you know? yeah. I, I like I, I think you have days where although I also think that your idea of chaos might be not quite as chaotic <laughs> simply because you were raised in a very like in a very rigid, you know, society. So doing something that's like slightly chaotic is like for you just like, ooh, spicy. See, I see I see chaotic <laughs> less bit. as like things. I, I don't know. I see chaotic less as like the end of a Marvel movie. And more as like unexpected, like chaotic is like things that that don't go with the normal flow of how things go, not necessarily okay. like ruin and destruction. Okay, that's fair. Chaotic I guess. as in like using different, using unexpected ends to get to an outcome, and not valuing expected ends over unexpected ends. You know, I I I can get with that. I yeah. can get with that. Yeah. So I'm going to put you as chaotic good. Okay. okay. Is that cool? See, I see myself either as neutral good or, uh, but also I identify very strongly with George Costanza, who is the most true neutral character to ever exist in the history of pop culture. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I can see, I can see that. I could, I could have put you a little bit more towards chaotic neutral as well. Because, really? well, isn't that just like I take care of myself first and the consequences are the consequences? I mean, I do, like, but also... Like, you never try to hurt anybody. Like, you never try to, like, go out and hurt somebody else, but also, like, you take care of yourself first. But also, like, you know, if I'm in a situation where something bad is... Like, I feel like if you're true neutral, then, like, you just, like, don't give a f- about, like... You know, like, if you see something bad happening, you're just gonna be like, nope does not concern me whereas for me if i see something bad happening i'm gonna be like huh maybe i should do something about that so i feel like yeah, that's if i see something bad happening i'm like running towards whatever that thing is to try to hero. fix it yeah um it's I, I i hope that doesn't sound like bragging because i'm not really trying to say that this is a positive character trait <laughs> 
Uh, it's it's dangerous. You believe in heaven, so you know there's no risk. That's the. <laughs> well, I believe I believe in heaven, and I'm not really too keen on the on believing in hell. So there's very minimal risk. <laughs> But no. yeah, I use so so now if I'm walking down the street, I typically have a baby either in a carrier or in a stroller. So this is not uh, not what I do when I have my child with me. But before I was carrying another human around at all times, I used to be that person who like if I saw somebody getting I don't know, if I saw somebody who was dressed up all fancy for clubbing and they were getting harassed by people outside the club i used to be that person who would go stand in between those people and like tell the guy to fuck off uh or like pretend to be i pretend to be other girls friends to save them from guys who were hitting on them top tier like that that was the kind of stuff that i used to pull before before i had another human that i had to care for first (laughs) so do you want to do alignment for some famous fundies yeah, okay. So uh, are we going to start with the chart or are we going to start with a list of fundies that we want to do? Let's just like throw out some fundies and then do a, a discussion of like what we think they are. Okay, so let's start with let's start with the Hiles dynasty because I feel like that's a good place for us to start, okay? Because okay. I can't name all of the Duggars except for like four of them. And I, but I know who all we the Hiles people are. Yeah, so Jack Hiles, I think is lawful evil. Are Are you good with that? Yeah, I feel like a lot of these people are going to be lawful evil. Uh, I I feel like a lot of these people might be lawful evil, but you know who is not lawful evil? Who's that? David Hiles. David Hiles is chaotic evil because there is no behavior that is as chaotic as carrying on affairs with 16 different women and then keeping photos in a briefcase. Uh, That is like some chaotic behavior photos in a brief in a briefcase isn't chaotic it's just dumb and then everybody finds out about it like that is top tier chaotic behavior bottom tier chaotic behavior excuse me good enough fair enough enough. i'll go with that who else do we have i feel like all these people are going to be evil who we have jack scoff what's he oh hmm i don't know i would put i would put jack scoff someplace in the neutral column because I don't think he, my perception of him from somebody who knew him, I don't think he really cared about anything but himself. Hmm. Because I don't think he, I don't think he was concerned with the nature of his actions. You know, he just, he, he wanted to uh, preach the Paula Shaft sermon, so he just did it. He wanted to uh, coerce a minor into sex, so he just did it. And then he wanted to blame it on his lithium levels, so he just did that. Yeah. Hmm. I don't think, like, I don't, I just, I think he didn't take much thought to the morality of his actions. I think he just kind of was like, well, this is what I want to do. That means I'm going to do it. So for me, that makes him more evil because, in my opinion, so the opposite of love is not hate, the opposite of love is contempt, yeah. if you ask me. So for me, that that definitely makes him. So are we saying that he's neutral evil? I can, I'm kind of getting neutral evil. You know, I mean, there th- he was very like legalistic about the things that he was preaching. You know, rules, 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 rules. But then at the same time, they didn't apply to him. Yeah, but okay, Jack Hiles was like, these are the rules because God says so. Jack Scott was more like, these are the rules because of logic, or these are the rules because of what I say. Hmm. Jack Hiles was like, these are the rules because God says so and the Bible says so. 
um, <laughs> Jack's cough. <laughs> I've been working on my Hiles cough, and I'm really very proud of it. And I'm sorry if I trigger anybody, but I'm really proud of it. Yeah, it was good. I've listened to enough Jack Howes to know that that's really good. I've I've, I've figured out how he did it. Um, this is a useless skill. Um, it's I think, funny on this show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the things I do for comedy. I'm gonna get a, a wig that's like a bald cap wig and start doing Jack Howes impressions on TikTok, but like saying ridiculous. Shit. Um, like pee is stored in the balls. Sure. <laughs> Um, uh, (laughs) no i think so i think kyle's was like oh uh do these things because god said them and because the bible says them and jack scott was more along the lines of like do these things because i said them interesting so i see that as more of a more of a neutral evil trait as well right because the lawful thing like neutral is like i am the law and lawful is like there is a law that's above me yeah okay that makes sense that makes perfect sense okay so let's move on from the Hiles dynasty. Who else do we have to talk about in the Hiles dynasty? Anybody? Uh, uh, no, I think those are the the players. Okay, what's what was his wife's name? Um, Who? Jack Hiles. Oh, Beverly Hiles. Beverly Beverly Hiles. Where is she? Oh my goodness! I don't even. See, I don't do even we want to rank the women? That's the question. If see, we, I wouldn't because I because I don't think we ever knew who they really were. And they have so little agency to begin with. Right. Well, like. Um, this is something I've been thinking about. Beverly Hiles was a, she was a real person. She was a complete person. She had dreams and preferences and a favorite color and a favorite type of cake. And if she had had one more child, she had a name picked out maybe for that child. And she had a favorite brand of car and colors that she thought she looked good in. And and there's so little of that that we know about. Because she was presented by her husband as this very pristine kind of packaged look that was his, that was what he needed in a wife. And she never really got to be who she herself, like who she was herself. So I don't think we should rank them because we don't really know who they were. And I I think for some of those women, it's kind of lost to time. Like we never will know who they would have been. Well, we could. Uh, I wonder if we ever got like uh, 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 Linda Murphy come on the show. Uh, um, I know she that, fo- she follows us on Instagram now. That would be fantastic. Send us an email. She could talk about uh, her mother and yeah, like my I mother was love, a real person. <laughs> I would love to highlight um, people people like Beverly Hills specifically her because I. I feel like uh, Jack Hiles put her on so much of a pedestal. He he used very specific language about her and kind of made her, well, this is who my wife is. And I would just, I would just love outside of like that's all I really know about her is like the worst moments of her life and then what her husband said about her. And I would love to separate her as a person from the worst moments of her life and just learn about like what kind of what did you know what kind of cake did she like what was her little phrase you know everybody has like a little phrase that they say um my grandmother was a big fan of bless your heart completely unironically if i hear a southern woman say bless your heart to me i'm just like jesus what did i do like it can it can be <laughs> so bless your heart is nuanced it's not necessarily judgmental although it often is <laughs> but i i would love to know a little bit more about about mrs hiles 
outside of what her perceived image was. But I don't think we should put uh, the the wives on this alignment chart unless we unless we know a fair bit more about them, like Michelle Duggar. Okay, so let's move on to Michelle Duggar then, uh, like the the Duggars dynasty. What? Uh, how do we see them aligned? So see, Michelle, I, where is she? I would put Michelle along the lines of lawful neutral. Because she's just going along with it. She's just kind of like, okay, well, this is what I'm told to do. So I'm going to do that thing. Yeah. And she's like, my brain exploded in the laundry room. And (laughs) now, like, I just follow the rules now because that's like all I can do. And I just have to like, you know, you have to go through life a bit with blinders on because you're just like, this is wild. I just need to, like, get through this. Right. I, I I think she's kind of a foot soldier in the army of IBLP. Yeah. She's not um I, I, people people man people love to hate on Michelle Duggar and Anna Duggar. They just think that both Anna's of them Anna's Josh's wife. Yeah, Anna is Josh's uh wife for now, hopefully, knock on wood. Um that it's mm. just for now. People love to hate on them and say, "Oh, they know what they're doing. They're the backbone of these family families. They're enabling their husbands to continue being abusers and people. They have no agency. I they, think they that's. I don't. think that's. I think that's bullshit. I also. I don't like the argument that like that like they're like robots and don't and, and are one hundred percent without agency or desire to do anything at all. Because I don't. I don't think that's true either. I think they're just so beaten down and so exhausted by what their life has become that they are too tired to have any agency yeah and when i say that they yeah when i say that they don't have agency i don't mean that they don't have desires and they don't want to make decisions but it's that they just like they live in a system that they don't have the capacity is that what you're saying to make those decisions they're just not allowed to they're not allowed to yeah even if they had this had a decision that they wanted to make and were able to get their laundry room exploded brains together enough to make a logical decision about something, they still wouldn't be allowed to take action on that decision that they made. So it's kind of pointless. Okay. So, okay. How do we put, where do we put Jim Bob then? Is Jim Bob a lawful evil? I would put Jim Bob right back in that lawful evil category. Yeah. And then Josh, uh, 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 Josh, the pedophile Duggar is, going to be chaotic yeah evil. we'll put him back more in chaotic evil see i'm noticing a pattern here is where <laughs> the the patriarch is going to be lawful evil and then the firstborn son who is the sexual abuser is going to be chaotic evil you know you know you would really you really wish that wasn't a, a perceivable pattern but yeah. here we are yeah the the man can we think of any fundies who are okay can we think of any who are good i don't know who, who are the good guys um i was I, don't know. I was thinking that um bethany of girl defined and what is that Lori? she's not good she's like no i was uh, i was gonna say she's chaotic neutral right she is deeply chaotic <laughs> she's extremely chaotic um i took a really cute outfit po- outfit photo the other day but i was wearing pink shorts and um white tennis shoes and i was like oh i feel really cute in this outfit but i'm really worried that i look too much like bethany because <laughs> <laughs> i realized like i realized how close i am to 30 the other day because it's it's now like 18 months until i turn 30 yeah and i was thinking like oh and i was like well maybe maybe i'm too old to wear pink shorts maybe i look like bethany 
I don't know, man. I feel like I could pull off the the pink shorts. I could wear salmon shorts, but people would think I'm a frat boy. Yeah, you you need to wear them with like loafers. Oh yeah, short sleeved button up shirt. Yeah, I would look like such a frat boy. I would, uh, man. I look like I was straight out of the AE Pie House. <laughs> well, there's, um, your, there's your Halloween costume. You're welcome. No, so, so, um, the, so Bethany, you're thinking that she's chaotic neutral. No, I'm thinking Bethany is as chaotic neutral, but I'm also thinking, um, and I hope I don't have the name wrong on this person, Lori Alexander. Have you read any of her tweets? I've seen her pop up from time she's to time. Like, she's like super old fashioned gender roles weirdo person. Yeah, she's the one where I'm like, huh? I, you know what? I've seen her on the Fundy Snark subreddit. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's where we see it. Well, that's where we see everything, and that's where we recently got mentioned. So thank you, Fundy Snarkers. We did. Yeah, we we love you. I think she might be chaotic neutral as well because, and and I know that's a that's a kind of a close call between evil and neutral for Lori. The reason I say neutral is because I don't think she intends to. I don't think there's any evil intent with what she posts. I think it's just toxic and bad and wrong. But I do get the impression that she believes it and isn't, she doesn't think she's hurting other people, even though she absolutely is and is an awful, awful person for the things that she says. Okay. How do you feel about, uh, who's the other, Mrs. Midwest? Where does she go? Oh my goodness. I don't even know why she's a fundy anymore. I do think she's interesting. Don't get me wrong. I just don't get why she's a fundy. I see like I see some of her stuff on Instagram. I'm just like, what is this? Like what is what is neutral? But if you were married to a cop and were like shamey towards other women, does that bump you down to neutral evil? I yeah, I think so. I don't really know how this works. I think that there is a point where just like insecurity and like anger and bitterness like do like manifest themselves into evil and i think that's where she i think she is she is going to be neutral evil how do you feel about carissa collins oh my god chaotic evil gotta be right i i wouldn't necessarily call her evil oh, i would you know just what? you're right you're right she's not chaotic not evil, evil i just don't like her chaotic evil is just like is like david hiles and like josh duggar who are like straight up pedophiles Okay. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. So is she chaotic neutral then? I just, I, I can't, I can't imagine applying any term other than chaotic to her. Oh, she is utterly chaotic. She wore a, 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 a camo t-shirt dress to a Jesus Seder. That is some chaotic right there. Like that. You know what is the, the, the thing that bothers me about her the most? Um, I know she wore a camo dress to a Jesus Seder where something about Jesus was carved into a watermelon, which was interesting. Um, <laughs> I know that that happened. <laughs> I also know that her husband is black and she recently posted some pictures that in which she appeared to be riding him like a horse, like in like in a like in a a field. And she's wearing like a cowboy outfit and he's like on his hands and knees on the ground. You may have missed this because I know you're blocked from her Instagram. I am blocked from her Instagram because I, I too, called no. her some words in Yiddish that I do not usually use. You know what? I feel like you were, I feel like you were justified. Um, yeah. No, so she posted pictures of that looked very strange. Uh, but the thing that and and also she had an unassisted 
home birth with a high risk pregnancy um, and claimed that bef- after claiming that God wanted to get her to give birth in Target and then she changed her mind. But the thing that the thing that what? bothers Wait, me, wh- what Carissa claimed that God told her that she was going to give birth in Target. And then she changed her mind and had an unassisted home birth with a high risk pregnancy where it could have killed her, both her and the oh, baby. You know what? I'm not. I'm not even going to snark on her anymore. This woman is like the thing. I, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to speculate on somebody's uh, uh, mental health. Uh, I think that's improper. Uh, I'm just gonna. I'm not. I'm done snarking on this woman. That's like that's you know, wild. I would. I would agree with you. I almost agree with you, but I don't agree with you about being like done snarking on her. Because she uses God as a reason for every one of these things that she does. And not only that, because that's something that I've done in the past, that she uses God and she uses scripture to shame other people for not doing the same choices that she does. She is nasty and mean to other people. And she uses Bible quotes in a hurtful, in a way that is intended to be hurtful and hurt people's feelings. And I think all of those are crime are high crimes <laughs> enough that she is still snarkable to me. Interesting. Okay. The, I, you know what? I think that's a valid point. Oh, I was going to say the thing The thing that I, that I hate most about Carissa is not any of the other things that we've mentioned. The thing that actually bugs me the most about her is that she doesn't know what room her children sleep in in the house. I mean, she, to be fair, she has a lot of children. She doesn't have that many. She has like nine. That's a lot of children. Yeah, but the Duggars know what room their kids sleep in. Yeah, because they, I don't know, because they can just like go and watch back episodes and figure it out. (laughs) How many rooms does your house have? Like, it has like four bedrooms. If you're talking about Carissa. How how does, wait, how do you have nine children and four bedrooms? So is it three to a room? Uh, No, the oldest son has his own room. And then like half of the daughters are in one room and half the daughters are in the other room. Okay, you know what? I would not be able to remember that shit either. I'm going to give her a pass on that one. Well, I just... So here, here's my deal. Here's my issue. If there was an emergency and you needed to get out of your house quickly, you need to know where your f***ing kids are. Like you, with that many children, if you need to get out of the house quickly for whatever reason... If there's a fire. Yeah, if there's a fire, if there's a tornado and you need to go in the basement, many different reasons there you need to know how like a head count is not going to do you any good when there are nine kids running around you uh one a a larger family that i knew uh they had six kids so not that many in fundy terms but they would have the the mom would yell out and i can't remember what the what her like phrase to start the count was but she would like yell out her little wherever catchphrase was and then the oldest kid would yell one and the second kid would yell two and then the third kid would yell three and so on down the line oh my god it reminds me of being back on the bus in choir <laughs> tour in in college i mean have it's a, a number yeah it, it's a it's a bit awkward but it worked for them to know where all six kids were at any given time and they didn't lose kids in walmart constantly wow it, bother, it bothers me about Carissa because it's a safety issue. It's like, oh, what if you needed, what if you did, you know, God forbid, have something happen and you needed to get all your kids out? You're going to, you're going to, you're going to lose one of them. <laughs> that's, that's my issue. To be fair, there's only two rooms that the kid could be in. I just, I I think that's irresponsible personally. I, I don't know. For Okay. For me. Okay. But here's, here's a question. I want to go on to this because we've have, uh, 
lots of people who are like evil, right? We have on the evil, uh, in, in the evil alignment. Anybody yeah. on the good alignment? Anybody who we want to bring up who's like, okay, this person's on the good alignment. Maybe somebody who is ex-fundy. Maybe somebody who is like one of these fundy famous people who isn't super toxic, who is just like, yes, this is just what my life is, but I use that to be good. Like, Oh, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Who have we got? Uh, I feel like uh, Jill Dillard has maybe, formerly Jill Duggar, I feel like she has maybe started to cross into good territory. Which is she? She's one of the oldest daughters. One of the oldest daughters. She's married to Derek Dillard. And they were, she was the first, one of the first Duggar daughters to like post a picture wearing pants. Um, She's the only Duggar ever to post a picture of an alcoholic drink. They have really, really been deconstructing. Her husband went to law school. And then now they're talking about writing a tell-all book. Because um, when they dropped out of counting on, uh, Jim Bob Duggar wouldn't give them their money or something about that. So I and and she and her husband are still homophobic and transphobic based on recent vlogs that they've done. But they've gone they've come far enough to say, oh, well, we have we have gay friends. We just don't agree with their lifestyle. And I fully understand that that's a not a great not great. That's um, a this step on the way like that's not a that good place. Was, yeah. That is a, it is a step on the way. People who say things like that, I understand that it's hurtful to other queer people. You know, I'm like, I am gay people. I understand that that's hurtful. I, I, I don't take that lightly. But in my experience, people who say things like that do not mean to hurt you when they say it. And more importantly, they typically move on at least a couple more steps down the road towards acceptance so i like i i get that i get that that's not a, a great thing to say but i think that it's an indication that they're still on that road and that they're going to continue to grow and i know how difficult it is for you to say that anybody who is transphobic is in the good column so uh i think like they're barely over the line into the good column so what are they are they lawful good neutral good chaotic oh, I, good i feel like they're chaotic good just because of the the just because of of Derek's Twitter likes, um, Derek has become very well known for he won't tweet anything that specifically says like I am going to sue Jim Bob Duggar or I am going to write a tell all book. But every time somebody tweets at him, is like Derek, you should write a tell all book. He likes the tweet. Oh, okay. And then like people post like articles about look what Derek Dillard liked on Twitter today. And I feel like that's chaotic and also kind of fun. That is kind of fun. That's like see, that's a smart way to do social media is is to just like let other people say it for you and then you just be like, I didn't say it, but man, this this is spitting. (laughs) Um those are are some some ex fundies. Is anybody chaotic? Is anybody lawful good? Because we don't have true neutral and we don't have lawful good or neutral good. Are we supposed to fill the whole thing out? I was going to say we should fill the whole thing out if we can. It's fundies. I don't know. Like, aren't most, aren't they, isn't it, isn't it going to just like skew towards evil? I don't know how Dungeons and Dragons works. Is this something is you're it, supposed to do? Are you supposed to have one of each? Well, that's how people do with the alignment chart is they, they want like, is they want to see like a full alignment chart. I don't know if I I don't know if I can put it together on the fly. Maybe we should um maybe we should make the whole thing and then post it on our Instagram. 
Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Uh, we'll post this on our Instagram at some point, and maybe by the time this episode's out, who knows? I I but, can yeah. do some I can do some work on it. I just I think it's very hard to think of when I when I think of fundies and lawful, I don't think of good, and when I think of lawful and good, I don't think of fundies. Like the Venn diagram is just not working in my head at the moment. Here's a question: Where does Lester Roloff go on here? Because he's a weirdo. He's a, a, a okay, weird to, guy. You'd have to define good. Is good by I don't the think he's good. Okay, he listen, here, here's the thing. Is good by that person's intentions or is good by uh, a, a neutral XY axis of morals? I mean, he didn't molest anybody, but he also tortured people. Well, he probably so, didn't torture people. It was people who worked for him who, tur- who tortured people, which is still bad. But I think like it's slightly less bad. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't know where we would put him. We'll we'll figure this out later. We'll put this on our Instagram. I don't have evidence at this time that Lester. I, I do think that Roloff encouraged beatings in his school, like. But I don't. At this point, I don't think he knew how bad it got within the schools that he ran which is really unfortunate and he should have been a better leader and prevented that but i don't i at this point just based on my research i don't think that he intended for it to be that extreme of a torture environment interesting okay yeah i i I mean i'd agree with you i don't know where i'd put him on the list though yeah i don't know yeah so uh we're gonna do we're gonna do this we'll put this on instagram or something um but I think that's our last question. And this has been a long episode. We've had to record this in a couple of different sessions, but that's okay. We are. Do you want to wrap up now? We should wrap up. Yeah, this has been the longest episode ever of the Leaving It podcast. No, I think last episode was the longest episode. We really got to get the get a handle on this. Well, <laughs> anyway, we've been um, saying that for a year now, buddy never happens we're getting we're gonna turn into joe rogan <laughs> like here, every like is... three months we're like you know we should really try to write shorter episodes um because people complain that they want to listen to us on their commute but they can only get like a third of the way through an episode <laughs> and then we try to write a shorter episode and then when we try to write a shorter episode it's inevitably longer than normal yeah for us a short one is an hour 45 now which is yeah which was never our intention but we just can't help ourselves no so I guess it. I guess if you don't like it, just um, do what I do and listen to it fifteen minutes at a time. We have to record these fifteen minutes at a time. <laughs> Thanks, Chuck. It's all right. Well, she she cute though. Yeah, she's real cute. Uh, okay, Let's yeah. Let's wrap so, this one up instead of yeah. going for three hours. Okay, how do we wrap these up? Okay, it's uh. So you can follow the Leaving Eden podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Leaving Eden Podcast on Twitter at Leaving Eden Pod. Join our Facebook group. Go to Facebook. Type Eden Exodus into the search bar. We should pop up. Uh, anything else? Uh, go join our Patreon if you want to hear even more Leaving Eden podcast. Because this episode has like we recorded two questions that we only put on the Patreon. So you can join our Patreon and listen to those two questions. Uh, Sadie, do you want to plug your social media? Uh, yep, you can follow me on Twitter at Hell yes, Sadie. And become one of my favorite people by liking my ridiculous tweets that um, don't mean very much most of the time. You can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music or on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One, where I will be doing a. I'm working on a, a, a whole series for TikTok 
where I kind of distill some of the information from the first Family of Fundamentalism series in a more TikTok-friendly format. And if you want to follow me, I am the same thing on Facebook, Instagram, Clubhouse, and Twitter at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. Uh, and until next time, you guys have a nice day. Bye. But old rolling river of time Healed me in too many days No regrets, no Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.